Hello, and welcome to Impact the Borough, a podcast from the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I'm Brent Christensen, the president and CEO of the Chamber. Each week, we'll highlight what we're doing to start and grow businesses, create quality jobs, and develop our workforce. We'll also check in with our community partners to share inspiring stories and important information from across our community. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, TrueLiant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit TrueLiant.org for more information. Hi, everyone. I'm Nikita Green, the Vice President of Leadership, Diversity, and Inclusion here at the Chamber. I'm joined today by a panel of local experts to talk about something that's on all of our minds right now, COVID-19 vaccine. We recently heard from our small business focus group that many employees don't feel they know enough about the vaccines and that there's a lot of information out there, probably on social media, no less. And today we're going to dispel some common myths and delve into the reasons behind vaccine hesitancy. So let's meet our panel. Uh, Dr. Van, would you like to start? Sure. Good um, afternoon, everyone. My name is Dr. Yulia Van. I am the public health director for Guilford County. Um, I am in charge of the COVID-19 response for our communities. And since March of last year, we have been incredibly involved in everything COVID. Um, We've started with COVID-19 case investigations and contact tracing. Um, We moved into the testing environment, um, also support to our businesses, to our schools, to our universities and many other entities around the community. And most recently in the last two and a half months, uh, we have been one of the major vaccine um, providers in our community. And I am very happy and honored to be with you on this uh, podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I'm happy to be here as well. Uh, My name is Jody Stanley. I am the Outreach and Education Coordinator for the city's newly named Human Rights Department. So our concern is really equity and access to the vaccine and COVID-related information. From the outset of the pandemic, we've been meeting weekly with immigrant community leaders to learn about what's happening on the front lines and what is needed. We're really excited about that. It's a model that is now being uh, modeled in other cities and they're picking it up and wanting to do the same because it's so effective. It's given us critical information to know how to translate information to address literacy. Our most recent project is a series of videos that was translated into eight languages and it's specific to the COVID vaccine. So those are ready to circulate today. I'll make sure you all have them before we leave. Awesome, thank you. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm Dr. Carolyn Haraway-Smith. I work for Cone Health and I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Women's Health. Um, I have two roles at Cone and um, the first role is clinical where I see patients in the office. So women um, really of all ages um, and um, uh, I still do obstetrics as well. And so we deal with the, obviously the patient population and their issues with COVID. Um, but then in the second role, um, I work in an administrative role, um, working on quality and safety for um, the Women and Children's Tower and the, the Women's Service Line in general. And um, the way that fits into COVID is on the outpatient uh, arena, making sure that um, our pregnant pa- patients feel safe, Um, with whether or not they should get the vaccine. On the inpatient arena, it's making sure that our hospital is safe to have patients um, feel that they're protected from COVID um, and our staff feel like they are protected from patients who might have COVID. Um, And then I've been working with the organization on getting um, the shot into black and brown arms Um, and doing lots of talks in the community, making sure that people are aware um, that there are concerns of um, access um, and also historic trends in terms of why people might not want to get the vaccine. So um, I'm excited to be part of this conversation. We're glad to have you, thank you. Hi, good afternoon. 
My name is Laura Garduño and I am an organizer with Siembra NC. I'm excited to be here with all of you. Um, Siembra NC is an organization uh, led by Latinx people defending our communities um, from threats that, um, like ICE and wage theft. And we're focused on building uh, grassroots power with and without papers across the state of North Carolina. Um, and since the onset of the pandemic, we became a central point of connection to support um, systems for Latinx community members. And we started translating public health information into Spanish and making sure it reached uh, deep into uh, dozens of neighborhoods in several counties across the triad. Um, some of the things that we've done have been uh, Facebook Live conversations, um, workplace safety specialists and, and, um, and focus on, on, on making sure that people knew how to uh, protect themselves in the workplace since most of the individuals in the Latinx community are frontline workers and essential workers. Um, but we also helped raise tens of thousands of dollars for our COVID-19 Immigrant Solidarity Fund and we were able to help uh, over 350 families across several counties. Um, and right now we are leading again a vaccination effort um, or information effort to make sure that people in the Latinx community uh, feel comfortable uh, making sure that they get a vaccine, making sure that they get in line and um, that they are not uh, disincentivized from uh, getting a shot. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, you ladies are all working really hard already in and of the community and doing important work. So I'm really glad that you're able to be here and talk with us. Um, so let's let's get into it. Um, Dr. Van, I'd like to start with you. Can you give us an update um, on the vaccination effort in Guilford County? Like who's eligible to receive the vaccine now? Sure, some members of group four um, became eligible for the vaccinations. Um, with the rest of group four becoming eligible on um, April the 7th. So currently part of that group four members include anyone between the ages of 16 and 64 years old with one or more high risk medical conditions for severe disease from COVID-19. And then also people living in uh, group settings, such as those that are incarcerated, uh, people that are experiencing homelessness or living in a homeless shelter. And and then on April 7th, additional um, high risk uh, group members and other essential workers that were not included in group three were also going to be um, eligible. And we continue to uh, prioritize group uh, one, which is our um, essential medical health care workers and long term care facility staff and residents. Group two, which are individuals over 65, and then group three, which is a variety of essential uh, workers in our communities, manufacturing, uh, grocery stores, our government, law enforcement, court system, um, and so on and so forth. So we are in an active four groups, uh, one through four, and um, we are ramping up our efforts for vaccinating since um, these later groups include a lot of um, community members. And uh, we just need to make sure that our capacity continues to increase as more and more people become eligible. Uh, we continue to uh, receive allocations of uh, vaccine from North Carolina DHHS every week. So we continue to have uh, that very limited number of vaccines that uh, we can distribute to our community through the health department. There are several different um, vaccination providers in the community now. So as we're moving along, more and more opportunities for vaccine um, are coming up with commercial pharmacies and of course our healthcare systems that have been doing a tremendous job in uh, vaccinating our communities, our FEMA site, that is now active and other 
smaller pharmacies and private providers also coming live. Um, we have, through the health department, three vaccination sites right now. Uh, one is in High Point at the High Point University Community Center. The second one is in Greensboro at the Greensboro Coliseum. And the third one is at the Mount Zion Baptist Church, um, also in Greensboro. All three of them are considered mass vaccination sites. Um, and we are continuing to support those sites um, as we're moving along in these phases and in the prioritization group. So that's where we are um, as a county, but then also as a state, since we're following that framework that North Carolina Department of Health and, Health and Human Services have put um, together for us. Thank you, Dr. Van. It definitely seems like um, you mentioned ramping up. It definitely seems like those efforts have ramped up and, it, and there are a number of sites that are available to us now. Um, but I, I'd love to get into some of the concerns that people have about um, vaccine. Um, in late November, the NAACP reported that only 14% of Black survey respondents trusted the vaccine safety and only 18% said that they would definitely get vaccinated. Um, additionally, in, in um, just in Houston alone, um, there's a half million undocumented immigrants in Houston, and yet experts there say that um, they'll likely be the last to get um, vaccinated for issues surrounding mistrust, uh, misinformation, and immigration concerns. Um, they're also oftentimes cited um, some historical things that have happened, like the atrocity of the Tuskegee experiment, um, and the exploitation of Henrietta Lacks. Um, so it, one of the things that it suggests though in a, um, in a New England Journal of Medicine article is that it's not just historical things, but ongoing everyday structural racism um, that it's impacting black and brown communities um, in particular. Um, so Laura and Jody, um, both Siembra and C and the Human Rights Department are doing a lot of outreach with minority groups related to vaccine. Can you guys talk about some of the modern barriers to accessing accurate information for these residents? Like, what are some of those common vaccine myths that you're hearing? I think that what we're seeing is similar to the what's happening in the general population where people who have greater access to high-speed internet, are more comfortable handling, um, you know, browsers, have access to an internet several different ways, um, are the ones that are going to have an easier time accessing both information and uh, sources for where they can get the vaccine, right? And individuals who uh, don't have access to fast uh, internet or are, are not comfortable navigating uh, a browser are going to be left behind. And so that is very much the case for the immigrant community and the Latinx community specifically. Um, especially we saw that in the beginning where it was um, just, uh, I guess, group two or 65 and up. Uh, those are older people who are definitely not going to be um, comfortable navigating uh, these systems. And um, in fact, Siembra NC conducted a survey in which we asked and were able to get responses from over 800 Latinx people across the state. And they all indicated that um, they were, well, 52% of them indicated that they were more comfortable if they could make a phone call. And I think that this is, is important to, to highlight because it's not that they just want to get on the phone to schedule an appointment, is that they, there are questions. They're, they're not sure about this vaccine. And if they could get their questions answered by a person, they would make this easier, right? Um, so some of those myths are, um, you know, they, they, you've heard them all, uh, I'm sure. It's, it's a, a chip. Um, does it have the live virus? Am I gonna get super sick after getting the vaccine? And then there's more extreme ones like, um, well, I heard that it causes infertility. Um, I heard that it's, uh, it contains fetal tissue. Um, there's even like things of like, this is the sign of the devil or you're gonna be left with a mark of the devil. Like very strange allegations 
or suspicions around this vaccine. So what we found is that having conversations with people uh, is really effective at changing people's opinions. Um, and so some of the things that, that we're seeing are happening is that there is a lot of information on social media, right? And some of it is complete misinformation. And then there are other agencies that are doing a much better job at putting out accurate and reliable information. I've seen several uh, Facebook Lives on um, social media platforms. But again, anyone who is not on social media and does not have access to internet and is not going to be sitting through a 35 to 45 minute conversation on a vaccine is going to be left out. And so what we've been doing is we've been talking to individuals at their doorstep, uh, talking to individuals outside of um, you know, ethnic markets so that they are um, they engage in a conversation and it can be a quick you know five to seven minute conversation but in the end we find that to be much more effective yeah laura that, that's a really good synopsis of what's happening in so many of our communities i think some of the challenges that in addition to access to technology um, black and brown communities are more likely to live in poverty so you're looking at transportation challenges it's hard for them to get to a site to get the vaccination um, you've, you're also looking at something as simple as taking time off of work. You know, many vaccination sites are operating during work hours, and it's hard for people to get away from work to get to the vaccination site. Um, many of them have families, and they don't have anyone else to take care of their kids when they go to get the vaccine. So there are just a host of different challenges associated with poverty, I think. In addition, you've got documentation requirements, and I know that, that Laura is really familiar with this. Um, we have a number of our immigrant and refugee community is undocumented. And for them, a relationship with any system can mean or lead to deportation. At least there's a lot of fear and mistrust, which is understandable. So when you think about the registration that's required to get the vaccine, that alone can create the barrier. So I think it's really challenged some of us to think on a broader level more systemically about how we're setting this up to succeed. Um, just a couple other myths that we've heard. One I heard today was that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine isn't working. It's not, it's not effective. Um, our response to that is that all three vaccines are effective in preventing hospitalization, which is the whole point of vaccines. Another one we've heard is from a faith perspective, it's sort of this idea that God will protect me, or maybe even I'm taking this home remedy, so I don't need the vaccine. And the best response there is not to necessarily shame or be like, I can't believe you think that. It's really to acknowledge and inform, and like Laura said, keep the conversation open. Um, something else that's come up for a Muslim community are the products in the vaccine, halal or kosher. If they contain a gelatin product, they can't have that in their system. And so we've had to go through that. And the answer to that is yes, they're completely safe. They do not contain pork products. And many faith leaders have stepped up to say that it's okay to take these vaccines making sure that residents know that they can request an interpreter. That's been a consistent challenge on the front lines. And also, again, for a Muslim community, if they're concerned about modesty, they do have the right to request to take the vaccine in private. That's been a huge one. The other thing is there's a, that there's a cost associated with the vaccine, and that's not the case. The vaccine is free, and there's no insurance required. There is one registration site that I'm aware of that, that offers like a drop down of insurance options but it's not a question that you have to answer. So you can kind of skip it over, but it's caused some confusion, but just letting people know that insurance isn't required has been a big part of our conversation. Oh, yeah, thank you. And, and both of you make me think about, um, again, a, an article that I read um, talking about kind of this issue and how important trust is and, um, and even suggesting that maybe, you know, for some communities hearing from uh, people that are already in and of their community is important. And, um, and, and, you know, kind of dispelling some of that mistrust. Um, Dr. Haraway-Smith, Dr. Van, do you have any thoughts about um, myths or anything different that you'd like to share about that? I think in some situations I've heard lots of conversation about the mistrust, the mistrust. And there is, a, we know that there's mistrust, but on top of that, I think the access issue is just as great. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've urged people in our healthcare community um, not to sit on um, or rest on the fact that there's this distrust and then not do our job by getting the vaccine out um, at the times and at the places that people need it. Um, and I think that's 
um, that's one of the bigger issues that I see. I think the mistrust issue as we've gotten further along, when people hear, just like you said, from people who look like them, people who understand their experience that not only do they recommend the vaccine, but they've had the vaccine. For example, I'm not a huge poster on Facebook or social media, but there I am, you know, getting my shot on uh, social media talking about, you know, the amount of fat on my arm. Um, but it's because I wanted people to see and hear that not only am I recommending the vaccine, I'm putting my, my um, actions where my mouth is and I'm showing you where I'm getting the vaccine. And I think a lot of um, uh, professionals of color have done the same thing just to let people know we're out there and we want you to see that we're out there doing what we're recommending for you. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Hare Waysmith for that. You are absolutely right. And um, I've done that myself uh, with uh, the, the time when I took the vaccine to just kind of lead by example, but then also follow the, the recommendations of the framework and waiting for my spot in order to get the shot um, since I did not qualify to get it until we were in group three. So, you know, just kind of making sure that that, that happens also. So um, some of the uh, myths and the misinformation that Lori and Jody have um, shared with us are very similar to the same ones that we're hearing with a few additions that I didn't hear before. So that was, um, that was definitely very interesting. From the Latinx community perspective, I think that one of the the areas that we want to continue to um, communicate is that we are true allies in these communities that we create safe spaces for everybody to come and get their vaccine. We do have a registration process because the vaccination is still a medical act. We are still giving a medication and we need to make sure that we have the right person that we're giving the, the vaccine to. But we're not asking for ID. We're not asking for social security. We're not asking for insurance cards. So trying to continue to communicate this, I think that it is really important. And the health department has been an ally and a friend for these communities for, for decades now. And we continue to do that. We have support in our uh, clinics from the National Guard. And that is another area of concern in these communities because they see people in uniform and they think ICE. And of course, they're scared to come. But they're really an amazing partner in trying to make this work. And we don't always have the capacity of the people to be there and actually do this work. So any type of support that we're getting from these partnering agency, we're very happy to have them. And they're supposed to wear their uniforms. We tried really hard to work with the National Guard to try to ask them, hey, can you wear maybe a polo shirt or maybe some khakis and not really the, the uniform, but unfortunately that is part of their mission um, uh, in being there. But I think that just telling our communities that we don't want to make them feel unwelcomed and we're doing everything that we can to, to create this safe and friendly space for them to, to come. Uh, we also hear a lot of, and this is one of the myths that I think I've been talking about the most, is the fact that these vaccines have been developed way too fast uh, with um, too much, um, uh, too, too little time. And I think that it all started even with uh, just like, um, you know, Dr. Corbett mentioned in one of the uh, speeches that she had at the um, uh, NCANT that even the, the name of this project, which was Operation Warp Speed, made it automatically seem like, yeah, this is way too fast. This is happening uh, in a way that is going to cut corners. No way that, you know, this is going to happen in the right way. But one thing that I keep uh, mentioning is that these vaccines have been built on years and years of research uh, that our scientists and our medical and scientific community has uh, worked around. The mRNA vaccines, as well as the, the Janssen vaccine technology, they've been around for many years. Um, Ebola vaccine has been around for two years and it has been successfully used in uh, preventing Ebola outbreaks and 
it's based on that same technology. So it has been um, work that has been built on years of scientific research prior to that. Um, it also received a lot of funding, funding that these groups have never received before. So when you have $10,000 to build a house, it's going to take you a whole lot more time to build that house than when you have $2 million to build a house. You're going to build that house in two weeks because you have the, the materials, you have the contractors, you have the mines that are all coming together to build your house. So this is kind of that same type of work that was done um, on that foundation that was laid out. So um, continue to, to share these analogies and some of the, the fact that we realize that even the terminology that is used uh, may not have been uh, the best choice when we're trying to build this trust um, in our communities. Um, we also hear about DNA, um, um, the, the DNA being affected or our own human DNA being affected by the vaccine and talking uh, more about how the vaccine actually work in our body and the fact that there is no um, no touch points between that little piece of genetic code from the virus that comes into our cells to try to make these proteins and the protection that the body has for our own DNA. So it's just really that response that we're looking for so our own immune system would be able to identify um, the virus. I think that another area um, that I'm sure that uh, Dr. Hathaway Smith will be a whole lot more equipped to talk about is really that infertility or fertility um, issues that we're also hearing um, coming out of these communities. As an OBGYN myself, we have zero evidence that that is the case. I'm really not um, even sure where that came from. But again, um, this vaccine does not affect the DNA and it is not a um, long lasting virus. The viral particle, not the viral particles, but the, the, um, the parts of the vaccine that are not active are not in the system after even 30 days. So there's no effect on the egg. There's no effect on the developing embryo. There's no effect um, on the pregnancy that we've seen. And we have lots of pregnant patients who've been vaccinated. We have not seen any adverse side effects in pregnant patients. However, we do know that if you're pregnant and you get um, COVID, that your um, chances of getting sick and being hospitalized is a lot greater. So we are recommending that pregnant people for that reason alone um, get the vaccine and in fact um, be made high priority for getting the vaccine. You know, the long-term effects, that is another myth that we're hearing and some hesitancy um, because they don't know, our community doesn't know what will be the long-term effect, side effects of the vaccine. So just bringing you know, conversations of all of the years that we have um, behind the vaccine research and behind the vaccine science has showed us that vaccines in general do not lead to long-term side effects. There are some of those very short-term side effects and even there I can, you know, I can break that down because there are true side effects and the actual body reacting to the vaccine and starting to work. And if you have a headache or if you have, you know, maybe feeling yucky for 24 to 48 hours, it's really not a side effect. It's just showing that your body is working to protect you from the virus. Um, so just talking about those things in a way that um, everybody can re respond to them. You know, when we received our uh, measles, mumps, rubella vaccines that, you know, everybody's getting, you know, we're, we're not really worried about long-term effects of that or uh, when we're getting our um, other vaccines for tetanus or pertussis, you know, they, they have been embedded in our society and they have prevented millions upon millions of deaths and disease that we're not really thinking about long-term side effects. But now because this is truly a little bit of a shift in the way that our community is being educated, um, it, it's important to continue having those conversations. So um, a, a lot of 
a lot of um, the work that we need to do is really putting out the, the right information, working with our uh, community leaders, working with those trusted partners, uh, because you know sometimes government is not necessarily um, being trusted. You know, all around, we can be public health, and we might not have anything to do with any of the policies or laws that are being put out there, but we're kind of automatically grouped in that one bucket. So using our information and our um, uh, materials through the trusted voices of our community members, I think it, it, it has been extremely important and it continues to be important. You're absolutely right. These um, these conversations are really significant, and I, I mean, I'm I'm learning something um, here as well. And I appreciate you all sharing your perspectives. I think Dr. Van, you you raised an important point too about um, just the kind of the um, the time frame of the vaccines development being a concern. And, um, and I thought it was it was um, it was interesting that the Dr. Corbett raised that. I was listening to that conversation as well when she's at ANT. Um, maybe words do matter in, in a number of contexts, but um, so Dr. Haraway-Smith, can you talk about the different types of vaccines that are available and, um, and a bit more about how they were developed? Um, right now, there are three separate vaccines, but two different types of vaccines. So the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine are both mRNA vaccines, and I'll explain that in a second. And then the new vaccine or the um, what we're calling the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is a, is a um, different type of vaccine. It is a viral vector vaccine. Um, and so let's go back to the first vaccine that was um, developed and given um, this emergency authorization is the Pfizer vaccine. And the interesting thing about the Pfizer vaccine when we, when we look at kind of um, community fear of the vaccine, Pfizer did not use any governmental financial assistance in developing their vaccine. Um, and then Moderna came and Moderna did use some assistance only in the production of that vaccine, not in the development of it. And so what I like to tell people there is, but there were persons of color on the development of that vaccine, which can give people some security um, in that. And so those are both mRNA vaccines. And so what they do is they take a piece of, um, uh, of this vaccine and in, embed it into the cell. Now, the important part of, of this going on, onto the cell and making it think um, that it's the virus is that it does not go into the brain function of a cell, which is the nucleus. So there is no altering of the cell. Okay, so in order to change a cell, you really have to get into the that mind of the cell and, and that doesn't happen. Um, and it doesn't in any way, shape or form alter DNA. And I think that's an important thing because it doesn't affect the DNA. That's not how it works. The other thing is all of these vaccines, once they do their job, which is getting in there and making the body think that the virus is there. And so it builds up um, kind of an army against the virus is the rest of that vaccine is then gone. It's out of the body within 30 days. So it's not, you know, once you get the vaccine, it's in your body for the rest of your life. And I think that's what people um, think. And, and that is not the case. Um, so the Pfizer vaccine requires um, 21 days before your next dose. Uh, the first two, the Moderna and the Pfizer require two doses. And this isn't a booster um, like you may have gotten from previous shots. This is to get a, a full complement of the vaccine, you need both doses. So for Pfizer, that's at day one and then at day 21. And there is a little wiggle room at the end, but, but we, we do recommend that people stay on cycle as much as possible. And then with the Moderna, it's 28 days um, in between. Um, it is important for people to know that for those um, second shots, there are side effects um, for some people. Some people, regardless of their age, breeze through, they have a little soreness in their arm and then they're over it. Other people have um, a few side effects that are worse. I'll tell you, when, when I had the vaccine, I was feeling fine until about hour, you know, 
eight to nine. And then after that, I was like, wait a minute, I am like exhausted. And I went to bed until the next day. And by um, probably 20 hours later, I felt literally rejuvenated and back to normal. So that does happen to people. And it is important that people are educated before they get the vaccine that this will happen. So there isn't that fear about um, maybe they're sick because of some you know, adverse reaction to the vaccine. These are normal side effects. In terms of um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, um, this is a different format. And this vaccine um, is in the form of an inactivated virus. And I think it's important when you use the term inactivated on none of these are live virus. You're not getting a coronavirus on any of these vaccines. So the Johnson & Johnson, which the benefit of the Johnson & Johnson is instead of that 21 day lag and 28 day lag, you get one shot and then you're done. And the side effects on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine are less than the side effects for that second injection for the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. So that, that might be a benefit to people. And the benefit of all of these vaccines is really the same. The benefit and the goal is to decrease um, severe reactions to COVID. So hospitalizations and severe illness as a result of them. And they all work well in doing that. And if I can jump in, I think that's been one question that we've had is which vaccine should I get? And our understanding is the best response is the one that's available because we have a limited supply. All three are effective. There are pros and cons, but we want to think about availability. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And, and one of the things that, that I like to, to use as a, um, a carrot is reminding people that ultimately we want to get back to life as normal, right? We want to go to restaurants. We want to go to ball games. We want to play with our children. We want to visit our grandchildren. Um, and all of the vaccines will do that. And once enough people are vaccinated, we will get to herd immunity. That means enough people have it that the virus can't really catch and affect the community. And all of the, the vaccines will get us to that point. Absolutely, you're right. We we definitely we're a year into this, um, you know, and the, the the virus being here and us, you know, realizing it, I guess. Um, and I think now everybody, as spring as spring is springing, people are definitely really want to get back um, to their lives. So, can you talk a little bit um, about, you know, how long after being vaccinated someone is protected, and when are masks going, you know, going away? Um, in the near future? Well, if I had that answer, um, I would be really popular and probably very wealthy. And we don't know when masks are going away. And um, I don't know that that's the question, right? Because I think if enough people get herd immunity, then we can at least get out and we can be with our friends and with our families. And right now, even for those who are vaccinated, we are recommending still wash your hands, still wear your, your mask. Now, if you're with one family um, who's not leaving their home and, and is vaccinated, then yes, the grandparents should see that family, but we're still not recommending large groups of people getting together. In terms of when are you fully vaccinated, about one to two weeks after that vaccine series, you can be considered you know, that, that it took or um, that the vaccine is, is then effective. Thank you and if I just that. may just jump in here for just a second, because I think that um, Dr. Haraway Smith just made a, a really good point and try to connect it for our listeners um, around the vaccine affecting the DNA and the fact that the, the vaccine leaves the body after, you know, almost 30 days after it's done its, its work. You also hear all of this uh, conversation and all of these um, discussions around how the vaccine needs to be transported in these ultra low cold chain uh, freezers. And they're just so um, sensitive to, to the temperature. Well, that is also something that we can connect with the fact, well, once that vaccine gets in our body, the temperature of our body is denaturing the the vaccine after it's done its work. So it's also linked up with that. So you can't leave the vaccine out on a table and expect for it to still be viable because it's not. But then once it enters the body, 
and it does its work. It produces though, it helps the body produce those spikes proteins. The, the temperature in our body is helping us make sure that those pieces are being destroyed and eliminated and they're out. So it's kind of like a, just to kind of like, how do you get to eliminate the vaccine has something to do with how temperature sensitive they are. Um, so I, I just wanted to, to mention that, to, to make that link there. Thank you for that, Dr. Van, and thank you, Dr. Haraway-Smith. I think um, one, one of the things that we, we need a lot more of um, as we're being um, educated is we need to hear the science. Um, I think that goes a long way with dispelling some myths as well. Um, Jody and Laura, um, can you tell us about um, your organizations and, and the outreach that you guys are doing? Um, are there opportunities that um, employers can share with their employees who might be immigrants or refugees? There, there are a lot of different things that employers can be doing at this time. And just to share an impactful story, something that's really stuck with me at the beginning of the pandemic, we have a lot of our refugees work at a chicken processing plant that's several hours away. They learn quickly that their temperature would be taken. And if their temperature was above a certain point, they would be sent home and wouldn't be able to work that week until they were cleared. So they started taking Tylenol before they showed up to work. And I think it just, for me, it really hit home and um, it highlighted the need in the immigrant community for information. I think that's the number one thing employers can do for their employees is to inform and empower them. So I don't necessarily have opportunities for you, Nikita, but I do mm -hmm. wanna offer our office and myself as a resource. There's some really great things that we've been doing at the city to empower employees. And there's some amazing things that are happening in the community. They can certainly, employers can share our videos in other languages. I'll share those with you all so that, you, and you know, they're just a really great resource, really practical and a way to start the conversation. Employers can exhibit leadership if you yourself get the vaccine and you show your employees that you trust it, they're more likely to do the same. Some employers have set up a COVID vaccine FAQ site on their internal websites. That's a really great, great way to share information about the vaccine and kind of dispel some of those myths. Email employees the links on how to register. If you know your employees are more than likely qualified at that point, then let them know, inform them, encourage them that it's free and safe and documentation's not required. You know, if you can meet them where they are, they're more likely to get vaccinated. DHHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, is offering Vaccination 101 trainings each Friday. Oh, wow. It's really exciting. Just learn about those today. You can actually ask them to come to you or to provide a training for you. So I'll make sure you have the link for that. But employers, that's a great opportunity to get information out to employees. I hope that's helpful, Nikita. That's very helpful. That's great advice, actually. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Laura, do you have some, some things you'd like to share about outreach that you all are doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said before, we are going uh, neighborhood by neighborhood, door by door. So the same thing would be for uh, workplaces. We can come to the job site and make sure that we are delivering information to employees in terms that are easy to understand, um, and, and provide a hotline number so that people can call and have that phone conversation with the person that can uh, schedule them, but also dispel any kind of myths. Um, I think employers can also recognize that workers having to show up to work during a pandemic are doing so, um, you know, because they need to earn money to make a living for their families. And so they, employers should pay workers in order for them to take time off to get a vaccine. This is, um, if, if we want to make sure that workers are, do not put themselves at risk, do not put customers at risk, um, are not missing work, et cetera, we want them to be vaccinated. We want a healthy worker, their healthy family, a healthy community, and um, employers can pay them the time it takes to go get a vaccine, can pay them time off for when they have their second dose, or if they have just the one dose um, and they start experiencing symptoms or the, the immune response, you know, that, that they can take that time to be off, to be well. And that might seem an, like an investment, but right, we want to make sure that we're creating trust and building long-term uh, good solid relationships. And 
yeah, I mean, like we have these sources and, and, and also if, if it's possible, right, bring it, make it so that people can come to the job site to register people for the vaccine as well. That's also very important because um, sometimes phone lines can be uh, jammed or the website, you know, the, vac the vaccine appointments fill up fast. Um, so if there can be people both in the Department of Health or people like Siembra who can sign people up for vaccines too, um, that would be better if, if it can be done on the job and if, they, if, if there's other family members that can be uh, benefited, right, as well, mm -hmm. that the workers should be able to, to make sure that their, their family members, if they qualify, uh, get in line too. And if I could add very briefly, I think that's a great list, Laura. Kind of a question for you. Some employers were tossing around the idea of financial incentives for getting a vaccine. We just had a lot of hesitation about that. Um, I think because of the historical misuse of brown and black communities in developing health, advancing you know, health technology, um, there's a lot of concern about what it looks like when you're paying somebody. So alternatives might be to give them paid time off or to perhaps pay a little bit towards their health benefits because certainly it's just like working out or you know, doing something good for your health. That's going to that's gonna make it better for everyone as far as your health um, insurance at work. So those were just some alternatives, but we, we were encouraging employers to stay away from the financial incentive. I do think um, when it, what I hear, I think um, from both of you is just thinking about it at eye level, like thinking about where the employees are, what the needs are, and um, making it as convenient as possible as well uh, for people to get information and even to get closer to um, getting vaccinated. So um, great advice, great information. Thank you. Um, Dr. Van, how can people make appointments to get vaccinated? We hope they're going to hear this and they're going to be inspired. So how can they make those appointments? And, and if you'd also talk about kind of how larger employers can arrange for vaccines, uh, vaccine drives on site. Yeah, sure. So the, the start, I'll start with the, the state website, which is www.myspot.nc.gov. So on that website, the um, North Carolina DHHS is trying to keep uh, a very accurate list of providers and um, vaccination clinics that people can go to to get a vaccine. So that's kind of like one of the, the bigger state level um, areas where they can go and um, look for who's providing vaccines in, um, in their community. Of course, through the health department, every week we release additional appointments as we're getting our allocation and we find out how many doses we're going to get. Um, people can go to our website, which is www.healthyguilford.com or call our um, call line, which is the 336 641 7944 number. So the website and the call center open up every week as we're um, adding more appointments to our um, to our clinics. In order to find out and stay in touch with that, even if this is not a way to make appointments, but it is a way to stay informed when appointments become available, I urge everybody to sign up for text messages by texting GC19 at 888-777 or GC19S at 888-777 for the Spanish version of the text messages. And through the text messages, we um, uh, put information about when we release more appointments or if an additional provider becomes available, if uh, more groups become eligible. It's just a really quick and fast way to, to stay um, up to date on what's going on. Also, um, our new federally supported vaccination site in Greensboro um, also takes appointments. So um, to make appointments there, the website is www.gsomassvax.org. Um, and also calling the state line to, to make appointments. And I know that Cone Health is also taking appointments by calling their phone line, which I have to admit, I do not know by heart, uh, but 
that is also another provider in the community. That um, email address is www.conehealth slash vaccine. Thank you for that. Also, we have.com slash vaccine. Sorry about that. So www.conehealth.com slash vaccine. We also have commercial pharmacies that are providing the vaccine. There are 13 uh, Walgreens vaccination sites in Guilford County. Uh, this week, three Harris Theater pharmacies became live. So more and more opportunities for our community members. As far as the employers um, asking for uh, vaccination sites, uh, we're working with our um, trusted partner that has been working with us since March of last year, which is StarMid or StarMount, um, to try to link um, businesses with vaccine opportunities, specifically for really large employers. Um, since the health department has, is uh, really working those three mass vaccination sites, we don't really have the bandwidth to also go on site to provide the vaccines, but we have a really good relationship with StarMed. And just this week, we were able to link them to a couple of large employers in the community. So um, let me know and I'll be more than happy to make that connection. Also, large employers that have occupational health and they have resources within their entity sign up to be a vaccine provider do it yourself do it for your employees that is also an option and if i need to help them um, connect those dots and make those connections please feel free to reach out to me and i'll be more than happy to to point you in the right direction on how to become a registered provider so you can administer the vaccines yourself in your agency and we have so many large employers um, here in in, um, in Guilford County. Um, that's great. That's a great resource. I'm glad that um, that you shared that. Uh, this has been wonderful. You guys have shared so much information. We're going to put um, all of the resources that you've mentioned today on our website, which is um, greensboro.org forward slash vaccine. So people will be able to listen as well as access that site to get the resources that you all have shared um, with everyone today. Um, you've given our listeners, I think, a lot to think about. And, and I think you've shared um, information that arms people with the tools that they need to make um, the best decisions for their health and, and for the community. So I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time. It sounds like you are doing a lot in the community. So taking that time away to, to spend with us, to continue to educate the community has been great. So I appreciate your expertise and your insights. And I thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union, a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, TrueLiant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit TrueLiant.org for more information. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube thanks to our video sponsor, North State. Make sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes delivered to your device each week. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at GSO Chamber. See you next time.